He is a Denver native born of Denver natives. A former Denver chief deputy district attorney, he is now an active Colorado trial lawyer. Bright, independent, and full of fun, he has been part of the media for decades. This is The Craig Silverman Show. Oh, what a world, what a life, what a day. Saturday, September 9, 2023. I have a fantastic variety show today. It starts serious, talking about the biggest litigation in the world, the Trump trials. We have as our special guest, Mario Nicholas, a frequent guest, Craig's Lawyer's Lounge, right now the lead lawyer in the case of the Millennium. Anderson B. Griswold. It's a case about whether or not Trump is eligible under the 14th Amendment. What an interview that leads off the show. Now, some people are predicting problems when it comes to this litigation brought by our friend Mario Nicholas. Michael Smarkonish, who's a commentator on CNN, a lawyer as well, He thinks that this guarantees that Trump will win the Republican nomination. I just wonder how there's any question but that he will win. He rigged the rules in his favor, and it's apparent that he's got such a sizable lead. These indictments aren't denting him, yet Smirkonish is critical of what's potentially going to happen in Colorado. Give a listen. Is some secretary of state about to guarantee that Trump wins the Republican nomination? Quick data points. 59% of Republicans are with Trump, according to the Wall Street Journal. 51% of Republicans believe January 6th, the work of violent left-wing extremists, according to Reuters. 61% of Republicans in Georgia believe there really was widespread fraud, according to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Conclusion, January 6th helps Trump with Republicans, and now a move afoot to get secretaries of state, the first one, Colorado, to disqualify him from state ballots because they say the 14th Amendment allows it. That will guarantee Donald Trump wins the Republican nomination. Now, I love this kind of legal analysis, and we will bring you a whole show packed with it. Monday morning, 6 a.m., Marty Lenz from 850 KOA will be my special guest, along with Jordan Hedberg from the Wet Mountain Tribune, West Club, Colorado. How do you cover MAGA right now? Holy cow, with the release of the Fulton County Special Grand Jury, three U.S. senators, they wanted to indict because there was probable cause. I remember the Jean Benet Grand Jury. This is bigger, much more consequential. This is bigger than when O.J. killed Nicole and Ron Goldman. Nicole Simpson had her head sliced off, and I covered that trial. I was a chief deputy. It was the dawn of the age of legal analysts, and I was there, and I'm telling you, this is so much bigger, which is why I have Craig's Colorado Corner every week, Monday morning. We cover the Colorado angles, especially on these biggest cases of the millennium. Now one of them in my favorite building, the city and county building, 
and Mario Nicholas, he's about to tell you all about it. But that's just the start of the show. As they say, there's more. There's so much more. There's Peter Simon, who is sensational. He's a pianist. He's traveled the world. He's made a big living for over 40 years in show business. How about a 70-city tour? And he's done it three times. He's worn out three tuxedos, but he has one for tonight at GW, George Washington High School, right there in Monaco and Virginia. Park your car, go to the box office, hear a classical pianist at work. He's a comedian, too. You will hear it right after Mario Nicholas when the great Peter Simon, class of 67, at GW comes on the show, followed by another great musician, our troubadour Dave Gunders. He's at his best because he tries to top all my musician guests. He brings out Stranger in a Strange Land in a great conversation. But his song, the Stranger in a Strange Land song, has haunting lyrics apropos of the anxiety we feel right now with the prospect of a fascist government being elected in 2024. What will we do? Well, first we'll be entertained by the likes of Dave Gunders and his music this time has a keyboard, has a piano, and he tries to compete with the great Peter Simon, and he does a great job. You have to hear his music, but first hear this sound that really bothers me and will, I think, spark my Colorado Sun column upcoming, which is, it's okay to have disputes. Held so many big disputes I had in that Denver City and County building on the fourth floor Murders, double murders, death penalty cases, emotions high. But there's one thing you cannot allow. Violence. We stop violence. We don't allow violence. You can't raise your hand in a court of law in anger. There are rules of etiquette. It's sort of like sports, too, and I'm just an old jock. In basketball, you can be aggressive, but you can't punch somebody. You can't raise your fist to somebody or it'll be a T. And damn, Donald Trump says, oh, all I did was object. No, you didn't. You got violence involved. And you went way beyond, way beyond Bobby Nightbed throwing chairs across the floor. Don't even insinuate violence ever. But that's what happens with these guys And Mike Huckabee is the worst. I think it was episode 158, Brad Onishi, Preparing for War is the book he wrote. He was an evangelical minister, and he's warning about guys like Huckabee who embrace violence with their John Wayne version of Jesus. The Jesus I wish other Christians would reject, and some of them do, but not enough. Listen to Huckabee talk about the proper reaction to Mario Nicholas and the kind of lawsuit he's bringing compelling action by Secretary of State Griswold. Do you know how political opponents to those in power are dealt with in third world dictatorships, banana republics and communist regimes? Well, it's simple. The people in power use their police agencies to arrest their opponents for made up crimes in an attempt to discredit them, bankrupt them, imprison them, exile them, 
are all of the above. And if you're not paying attention, you may not realize that Joe Biden is using exactly those tactics to make sure that Donald Trump is not his opponent in 2024. Here's the problem. If these tactics end up working to keep Trump from winning or even running in 2024, it is going to be the last American election that will be decided by ballots rather than bullets. And then there's the great Christian Mike Lindell, my pillow fame, guy who had access to Trump when he was committing these crimes, talking about martial law with the likes of Lindell. I am so favoring the side of Eric Coomer in the case of Coomer v. the Trump campaign and Randy Corcoran and 710 Can US and Michelle Malkin and Rudy Giuliani and Salem. They got a settlement last week with OAN and Chantel Rion. Others have settled Newsmax, but not Gateway Pundit and Odit. I mentioned Randy Corcoran, who continues to get big airtime on Denver Trump Radio, with advertising paid for by Dan Kaplis, who's a mega, mega propagandist at this point, and he pays for Brockler's show. And Brockler's starting to push back because it's getting so ridiculous, but nobody steps up and says jack shit as Fonnie Willis keeps getting threatened. And she put it in a pleading that her whole staff is getting doxxed, followed by GPS, put on Russian parlor stuff. When have I heard about Russian social media? Oh, that's right. When I worked at Denver Trump Radio and I had the likes of Kirk Woodland working for me and he worked for Dan Kaplis, who never talks about that guy. Dan Kaplis, who says, oh, I've never seen any racism on the radio or in the Republican Party. Come on, man. Woodland worked with you more than me. And it turns out he had these neo-Nazi leanings. And do you know how we found that out? Off Russian social media. Because Russia likes to stir this shit up through the likes of Woodland, which is okay. Kirk didn't have a big education. He had a big brain, but damn it, Dan Kaplis. And your mega propaganda after a CU law education for a bit. I know you had DU law in there too, but Jesus. And your shows are sponsoring shit like Lindell. Lindell and Kaplis put on this mega propaganda that takes down the likes of Eric Coomer, chased him out of Denver when he was just trying to do his job at the spaghetti factory. And listen, I'm just an old trial lawyer, but I could prove this case in a minute. Want to know how Trump put the fix in? He accuses other of rigging. But it's the whole Dominion lie, premeditated, pre-selected, out of Denver. It's the biggest story in the world, and it's laid out beautifully by Mario Nicholas and the six plaintiffs. You can't defend this action, and even if you believe the bullshit, the mega propaganda to hear guys like Kaplis, oh, Trump didn't incite the violence. Even Jack Smith admits that bullshit, man. He did incite the violence. He said fight 20 times for the one time he said peacefully and patriotic with just that lawyer's caveat at the end. But everybody got the message, man. And as for racists, what about the Proud Boys? Stand back and stand by. What about their insurrection convictions? While you guys are fixated on 
black female prosecutors and black male prosecutors, and they're all picking on Trump because they're racist in reverse or what? Maybe you should look in the fucking mirror. Bonnie Willis has done a fantastic job. None of her shit will go to trial this uh, cycle. No way. Trump is a master of the art of the continuance. I wrote about that. But thank God for Georgia law, which shows that a special grand jury of Fulton County residents decided unanimously that the big lie was bullshit. Trump knew it was bullshit. And he put together this plot to steal the votes of a state like Georgia. And my God, I've heard Brockler ridicule Bonnie Willis. And now it's starting to dawn on him that he's on the wrong side of history. But his his listeners are all charged up because they heard him say it was a political persecution. But it wasn't. My God, if I was DA in Denver and somebody tried to steal the votes of Colorado, and I don't give a damn which side it was on. I'd get worked up. And thank God Charlie Kane, who's the lead lawyer for Eric Coomer, is a calmer guy than me because Mike Lindell from My Pillows was his guest at a depot for seven hours, and all he did was obstruct and obfuscate while wearing a big cross, just like you see on his My Pillow commercials. But you can listen to how he treated Charlie Kane. And by the way, full disclosure, I'm doing everything I can to help Eric Coomer. I am because I think he's on the right side. I think Dominion is key. I think he was targeted. And through that targeting, we can all see the truth that this emperor Trump had no clothes. He's the guy who tried to rig the election. He's Mr. Defamation. It's like when I had Quentin Wortham, the Capitol Hill rapist, Six rapes that we could charge, all circumstantial, but he put forth a bullshit alibi for one of those days. And I put that on first because why make up bullshit if you really are on the right side? But Donald Trump's not on the right side. And anybody who's with him is not on the right side. And Mike Lindell is way on the wrong side. And it gets kind of funny. It starts out this way with Charlie Kane asking questions of Mike Lindell and introducing himself. And Lindell doesn't take kindly to these lawyers. I get a kick out of Lindell sponsoring lawyers like Randy Corcoran and Jen Ellis. Jen Ellis has a special code. But no, they're good lawyers. I know those lawyers, by the way, Mr. Lindell. What a joke. Give a listen to this. Tell us your full name, please. Michael James Lindell. Well, good morning, Mr. Lindell. My name is Charlie Kane. We met for the first time about... Who's paying you? About four minutes ago. Okay, go on. Is that right? What's it? Is that right? Is what, what was the question? We met for the first time. Yes, yes. Okay. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to start slow. Because the court reporter's trying to take down what you're saying, Okay. Don't sit and scold me already, Mister. I'll do I'll do whatever I have to do. So I don't. You're not. You're just a lawyer. You're an ambulance chasing lawyer. So don't start with me. I got all day. I'll take as much time as you want. So let's go. You're not my boss. You're just a lawyer, frivolous lawyer. So go. 
Don't start you know scolding this... me. Oh, I'm asking questions. I'm not mm -hmm. going to scold you. Go ahead. And now it does get kind of funny because I call this the lumpy pillow calls. Charlie Kane is trying to figure out means of uh, communication for Lindell because there's this plot against Coomer. And recall Lindell's flying Tina Peters around on a private jet. He's trying to get in the Dominion machine in Colorado, just like they tried to get in the Dominion machine in Antrim, Michigan. They did get in there. They did get in in Mesa County. They did get in Coffee County, Georgia. It's all connected, and it's Colorado connected. And we're going to talk about this more on Craig's Colorado Corner Monday morning, and I'll play this sound for those guys. But get a laugh out of this lumpy pillow calls and ask yourself if Mike Lindell is the kind of Christian that you would want to be. I know a lot of Christians, and thankfully, not many act this way. But the guys I know on radio, they all take this money. Over there at Denver Trump Radio, they love Lindell money. So does Fox News. Listen to the way this guy acts toward a really mild-mannered guy, Charlie Kane, who's just asking, hey, if somebody's got a complaint, will it get to you, even if they call about a lumpy pillow and it sets Lindell off? Okay, and I'm not asking about the lumpy pillow calls. Um, no, they're not lumpy pillows. That's not what they call on, okay? That when you say lumpy pillows, now you're an asshole. You got that? You're an asshole Mike is what you are. Mike no, he's an asshole. No, he's an not... ambulance-chasing asshole. That's what you are. Lumpy pillows, kiss my ass. Put that in your book. No, they, they answer anything, any problem customer that wants to reach Mike Lindell. Those are the ones. I want to talk to Mike Lindell. I want to talk to Mike Lindell. They send them to here and they go, or they call about, um, maybe they didn't get their pillow on time because of uh, um, the FedEx or whatever. Well, we'll cover them even though it could be somebody else's fault. Nobody calls because of a lumpy pillow. But good, good one, though. You done? Yeah, I'm done. What I'm saying Obviously, is, you don't have a MyPillow, too. You don't, do you? What I'm saying is, Mr. Lindell... Asshole. I, oh, go ahead. No, I'm pissed. I understand. Yeah, go. When you're saying what? So that's a lot of fun. Here's the order of action, right? Get ready for a tremendous, timely interview with Mario Nicholas in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge regarding the potential case of the century. This can move fast without a jury. Holy cow, out of Denver District Court. Then Peter Simon out of Fifth and Bel Air in Denver, Steck, Hill, GW, Concert Piano, Carnegie Hall. What a great story. You have to hear this. Better yet, see me tonight at 7 o'clock, George Washington, a fundraiser for the kids and a great show for mom, dad, and everybody, grandpa, grandma, concert, piano for your friends, your family in Denver tonight, Saturday night. And then Troubadour, you can catch him all over town. He plays gigs with the Vipers and with the Scatterbrains and sometimes by himself, Dave Gunders. This is a big show. Enjoy. Gosh. <laughs>
It's hot in here. Did that toaster catch on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bagel. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. <laughs> now, part of that was serious, and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday, and if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887 or online at mblawllc.com. Now back to the Fred Silverman Show. Hey, being a lawyer is a matter of judgment. You have to know the law, the facts, but good judgment is essential. If you don't understand how Donald Trump is culpable for the crimes committed in his name, then I question your judgment. I have the good judgment to question Donald Trump. If you want a lawyer like that, instead of a knucklehead who believes in the MAGA propaganda, call Craig. 303-734-7156. 303-734-7156. I am Craig. Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. Welcome to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. We have the man, the lawyer of the moment, Mario Nicholas, filed the biggest lawsuit in America. Way to go. You want to knock Donald Trump right off the ballot and save America. Welcome back to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. Uh, Thanks for having me, Craig. I appreciate it. Tell me about the whirlwind since you dropped this bombshell lawsuit with you listed as the lead lawyer. Well, I mean, I'm just the first lawyer on the sheet and I got to sign the uh, document, but we have a pretty all-star cast with us. So, so that your listeners know, we, you know, I'm working on it. So is Martha Tierney, who typically is, uh, she has been counsel for the Democratic Party in Colorado. So you've got kind of got both sides. In Colorado, we also have Eric Olson, who's the former Solicitor General of the state, Sean Grimsley, uh, who is an excellent litigator, and Jason Murray, um, who is a wonderful litigator as well, and clerked for Gorsuch and for Kagan. So, um, and that's before we even talk about the crew attorneys, um, Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington. Um, they were the ones, they're the only ones who've ever brought a um, successful 14th Amendment claim, and they did that last year, or at least the only one was the last 150 years to do so. So you're talking about a real all-star cast. Right. Yes, headed up by you. I- I'm proud of you, my Colorado son colleague. I, I think it's amazing. Uh, it was the top story on the Drudge Report yesterday. What about uh, the media crush? Who have you talked to and what's it been like? Yeah, it's been a little bit of a whirlwind since then. And, and, and you know, we actually have a case to prosecute too so there's all that and and you know i mean usually you file a case and oh well you got some time because 
service and you got to wait for an answer, um, understand this is an expedited hearing. So technically they are supposed to hear this within five days of us filing that complaint. Now, I'll let you know that um, it, uh, Trump has since hired a counsel in, in Colorado. It's Scott Gessler, and he is he is uh, he's attempting to remove it to federal court. Um, and so we will kind of see how that goes and goes back and forth. But um, we're ready for this. And Scott we've been Gessler, former, former Colorado Republican Secretary of State. I know Scott pretty darn well, yes. I bet you do, too. Well, uh, my former law partner. So, <laughs> so yeah, I know pretty well. <laughs> so we'll be we'll be um, we'll be heading up against each other right here. So that should be pretty interesting. So, as captain of the ship, did you put the legal team together? Um, you know, it, so it was crew because they were the ones who um, brought the Quick Griffin case, and they were looking for good jurisdictions, and they were talking to people around the country. And we just hit it off really well. And so April or May-ish, we started talking and working through what it would look like here. Um, Martha came on pretty early and we started working through that and getting plaintiffs together um, going through there. So it was, I think it was a combination of um, them looking for the right place to do it and the right people to do it with and our state having just that right set of circumstances. How were the plaintiffs chosen? Um, so, you know, I, I, because I've known a lot of Republicans and conservatives in Colorado for a long time, um, I was able to talk to a lot of people and, you know, spent several months going and talking to different folks to judge whether they were interested or not, see what their feelings would be on it or not. Um, we just kind of had one-on-one conversations and uh, generally felt, felt out people and where they, uh, how they felt about the insurrection and how they felt about Trump, whether they thought he belonged on the ballot or not, talked about the 14th Amendment. Um, and we came across, you know, ended up with these six who were, I think, incredibly brave. And I think they're going to go down in history. And what do you, what in your mind qualified these six people? Because a lot of people are against Trump, me included. Well, I, I think, I think, you know, some of the, some of the things that were important to us were, you really just had to be a Colorado elector to make this claim. But for us, we knew that they were going to get attacked and they were going to be attacked for, oh, this is some sort of partisan fight and just a partisan piece. So it was important to, for us to have a lot of Republicans on it um, or former Republicans who are maybe now unaffiliated. And additionally, we were concerned about some standing potential issues uh, if we were talking about primaries. So we wanted Republicans for sure. And we got some great ones. I mean, Norma Anderson is an institution in this state, a majority leader in both the state Senate and the state House. We have U.S. Representative Claudine uh, Smarta. Um, she was Claudine Schneider at the time, a personal friend of Ronald Reagan's. No, no, she's, um, so, a, lady, she's a lady who served uh, as a rep from another state and then moved to Colorado, yep. right? Yeah, yeah, she was a she was U.S. representative from Rhode Island, but okay. she's lived in Boulder for twenty years. Um, she left Congress and moved to Boulder, so she's lived she's lived here in Colorado for the last twenty years. So it's not as though it's just some weekender or something like that. This is this is someone who is an actual resident here and votes here and is an elector here. All um, right, yeah. yeah, keep going. Then 
For people who don't know about Mario, just Google him with my show because he used to work for Rudy Giuliani and all of that. But I want to hear about these six plaintiffs. Keep going. Yeah, you know, you've got we've got Krista Kafer, who uh, I mean, I can't imagine anyone ever calling her not conservative. Uh, I mean, she has fought for conservative causes and she writes a conservative column for the Post. She has been one of the champions of the pro-life movement in this state. Chris Castilian, who is unaffiliated, but was Governor Owen's chief of staff. And then Kathy Ward, who is a uh, who was a Loveland city council member. So it's a it's a really good mix, I think, that we've got together. All right. The person I know best in that group is Krista Caper, because I worked at 710 with her and we were on different shows, but we occasionally interacted. And she is a hundred percent conservative if you measure it by being pro-life. In fact, she said to take a zygote is worse because it never experienced the love of the mother. So she is committed on that issue. And she also went from not backing Trump in 2016 to voting for him in 2020 and writing about it. And then I guess she got disgusted by what happened right after the election, huh? Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think I think all these all these people watch what happened on January 6th and we're just dismayed and just said, this can't happen here. And I, and they've been carrying that with them, like a lot of us have. And, you know, and then when you find out, hey, look, there is a constitutional provision that says if you've engaged in an insurrection, you're not eligible for office. I mean, it's not like I had to talk them in and convince them that that was true. I think they already kind of knew that in their hearts. And they were like, well, if there's a provision there, we feel like we need to do this because it's the right thing. Because we live in a country that is governed by the rule of law. And if we don't have that rule of law, what do we have as a country? What do we have as a democracy? So I'm not, I, well, yeah, and God I, don't bless. Can, I don't know that I can oversell it. No, I no, no. I, 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 I totally agree. And I think the people who wrote that had a Trump like guy in mind. They could have probably never envisioned it happen in 2020, but it did. And so I'm with you guys. You know, I am. I don't like Donald Trump. Norma Anderson, God bless her. She's got to be uh, older now. And I haven't heard her speaking out because most people don't write a column like you and I do or Krista Kafer. So I'm just wondering about, does Krista, do you worry that you are going to be attacked for stuff you've written in the past? Oh, I mean, <laughs> I mean, the GOP has already sent out a fundraising email that refers to us as um, despicable malcontents, I think, is what the, the exact term By they name, have. So, Mario Nicholas specifically? Yeah. Chris DeCamper? Yeah, Mar- and, well, and, me. Yes. I don't know about Krista, but they, it, it talks about, it definitely talks about me. Dave Williams doesn't like me very much, but that's okay. That's a bad Japoner. That's a bad Japoner, my friend. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Yes. But yeah, uh, I mean, honestly, Dave should probably send me a thank you letter that says, hey, I haven't been able to raise any money, but maybe I'm going to raise some money now by invoking your name. (laughs) Well, let's think about that, because I do worry that this could be counterproductive in a number of ways. Did you think that through? Yeah. So here's the thing, Craig. This is a rule of law lawsuit, not a political lawsuit. I think that we're talking about here transcends politics. It is more important than that. We're talking about our U.S. Constitution and whether we're going to protect it or not. So 
what this has to do with politics and the Colorado GOP or Republican nominee or Democratic nominee and who might win and who what's a better strategy and all that. I set all that aside. I set all of it aside. And I said, what's the right thing to do to protect the U.S. Constitution? And this is it. What about warnings of violence from people like Mike Huckabee, who said, hey, if you disqualified Trump, get ready for us to solve things with bullets rather than ballots. Have you thought about that? Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we obviously take that seriously and, and have thought about that seriously. And I'm not going to go into the precautions that we've taken, but I can tell you that um, we thought about that well in advance. Well, I'm worried for the whole country because... Uh, some people might say, hey, we're going to be patient. We're going to wait for Jack Smith to do his thing. It looks like Judge Shetkin has control. Why get in the way of that with any other kind of litigation? We've heard that criticism of Bonnie Willis, and now I imagine some of that might be aimed at you. Is that fair? Well, I mean, I, I want to bring this up for your listeners, too. It's really important to understand. None of those criminal complaints would stop Donald Trump from becoming president. He could lose those, he could be convicted, and he could still be president of the United States. This is the only way to stop him from being on the ballot and being president. So I, I think that's a really important point to make, and, and your listeners should understand that. I think, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I, I, think, that's just, I think that's just a pretty relevant piece. For, for people to understand. As far as violence, I, I, you know, I mean, look, bullies, bullies are just going to keep on bullying people until they can. I mean, we've already seen that they'll engage in violence whenever they need to or want to. And now, a lot of them are paying the price right now, and I think hopefully a lot of people are really paying attention that when you engage in violence for political ends, you wind up serving you know, 17, 18, 22 years. Ask uh, some of those Oath Keepers and uh, Proud Boys. Ask, you know, Enrique Tario or ask Joseph Biggs, who pleaded for, you know, lighter sentences. And uh, they didn't even get the max. Let's be clear. They didn't get the max they could have. But they still got decades behind bars. And I think, you know, so hopefully a lot more people will be paying attention to the fact that this country does not tolerate violence as a political means. I, I mean, there, there's a word for there's a word for using violence. For political means, right? Terrorism. You're a terrorist if you do that. Um, and in this case, they're an insurrectionist too. Wow, I agree. And uh, is there something you are going to write about this week? I do not. I did not plan to write on it this week. I'll let you know. Um, uh, I, I think it's something I'm too close to. Maybe I will write about it later, or maybe after it's over. Good. Um, uh, kind of then I can. Then like I that. can quote you because what you said yeah. has really got on my mind. And I hate it. And I've been thinking about that just in the context of crime in the city, uh, education. There shouldn't be any specter of violence in any of those environments, in a school, in a city, in politics. It should be removed. And we all know who's put it out there. And when you said that the plaintiffs are brave, I assume you have to be worried about MAGA supporters, MAGA enforcers. I I'll tell you on talk radio, they're out there. Even if, uh, like Brockler, he tries to push back, the MAGA enforcers come out. But a guy like Dan Kaplis, you know, 
he heard about your suit and he was automatically against it. Frankly, so is Brockler. And I'm thinking, wow, when am I going to have time to read it? That's why I love doing this show, because I wanted to prepare for you. And there are 452 magnificent paragraphs just laying <laughs> out chapter and verse of what yep. this guy did. It's all there. Now, I'm sure you got some of it from these other indictments, but beautiful job, my friend. These guys won't engage on the facts, now will they? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, so that's the thing is, you know, it's, it's funny because all of Trump's people and these election folks post-election didn't want to go and provide evidence. They have no evidence to provide. Meanwhile, you've got us and we can't wait to show our evidence because we think we've got, I mean, we've got so much evidence that it's a question of how do we get it all in? Um, and so, but that's what we have courts for is so that we can go in and say, look, your honor, here's the evidence. Here's the testimony. Weigh it for yourself. Look at it. And you may, you make a decision on whether, you know, there was an insurrection and you make a decision on whether Donald Trump engaged in an insurrection. We think the evidence is overwhelming. And we think the evidence that we're, we'll present is overwhelming. Right. People will cry, what about due process? What about poor Donald Trump? But actually, it's 50 states that need to determine this sort of thing. And it's just impractical for 50 mini trials to take place. Am I right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, where, where Donald Trump would sit there as a defendant. I mean, this has to be a determination made without him necessarily present. Were you surprised that he got Gessler as counsel? What's going to be the role? No, well, no I mean, he, he, he needed a local counsel. He needed a local counsel. Uh, you know, Scott is a very well-known local counsel. Um, and so, and I, I think Scott had worked with Trump um, as an expert witness um, in, in 2020. So, you know, I think there's, there's some of that that went on. So, you know, yeah, I, I think it's, uh, not shocking or surprising. So how does it play out? Will there be a jury trial or just nope. a Denver district court judge ruling or federal court? Ruling? So it's, it's we brought the case in, in um, Denver district court. You know, like I said, there's there's the uh, right now we're currently they're trying to remove it to federal court. I don't think they'll be successful. I think we will wind up trying this and we'll wind up trying it relatively quickly in Denver district court. And we have to because think about this. We we have to have everything done four months from now by january 5th because that's when the secretary of state has to certify the ballot one way or the other right but, but it won't be a jury trial it will just be a declaratory judgment right. it'll, it'll, it, yeah the onus on a judge and then an appellate court and then ultimately will be will it be the u.s supreme court well so it goes, so so under this particular statute we go immediately from the trial court to the Carter supreme court so okay, we good. so it, it's expedited, so it makes that jump very fast, and hopefully that will you know I assume that whichever side loses will appeal it, and then then you can appeal from the Colorado Supreme Court up to the U.S. Supreme Court, and, and our assumption is that's exactly what's going to happen. I, I don't I don't think the U.S. Supreme Court can duck this case. So who are going to be your witnesses? You know what? I'm not going to tell you that. Craig. You'll have to have to come out. Can I take a guess? Can I sure. make a suggestion? You take a guess. Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger, they'd be good. They were both at the Capitol and investigators. So yeah, yeah. I'm just spitballing out. I there. think I, I think people who were actually at the Capitol on that day, uh, I can tell you that 
we will have people who are actually at the Capitol testifying. And uh, I think that it'll be pretty powerful testimony. And, you know, I, I think we'll have a few expert witnesses who will testify, people who can talk about, you know, the history of 14th Amendment. So, um, yeah. Judge Ludig, Judge Ludig, did you know he was in Colorado yeah. when he made all those big decisions to call Pence? Yeah. He li- Is that there's another good guest like by me, right? He's going to be your expert, Beaver right? Creek, I think. Um, he lives in Beaver Creek. But... Yes. Him and Larry Trott. Yep. I've already identified four of your witnesses. <laughs> Who else? Let me keep thinking. Yeah. I mean, well, you know. You, you, you know what guessing. you should do? Just did. right now. Get Rudy under subpoena. Just put him on to see what he says. He'll probably be drunk and confess to something. <laughs> I'm telling you. Oh, uh, you know. Oh, man. I, I can't believe this could play out in my favorite building in the world, the Denver City and County Building. God bless you for yeah, doing we're, this, we're Mario. Gonna a, we're going to crowded, crowded room. <laughs> I just, well, not as crowded as Atlanta, but. I I hope it all works out. I hope you don't cause a civil war or anything like that. You don't want to do that. And I I know where your heart is because you've been on my show so many times. And that is you're trying to figure out the best way to uh, oppose this insurrectionist. And and the people who say, well, you know, Jack Smith didn't charge him with insurrection. Well, let me ask you about that. I mean, the absence of a charge doesn't mean he didn't do it. I think even George Brockler admitted the guy said go fight 20 times to the one time he said peaceful and patriotic. But you know the arguments they are going to make. Uh, Why do you feel confident you can call it insurrection? And dare I say for the Dan Kaplis's of the world, because I try to hear what's their defense going to be. One, they're not going to read your complaint. But two, he says, we all know he didn't incite the violence. Well, I don't know that. He says, but I do wish he would have reacted better, you know. And you guys cite that 224 tweet. And for somebody like Kaplan who says, yeah, he probably could have stopped it sooner or maybe he didn't use the right words after. Well, that's embodied in the 14th Amendment, too. It's not just excluding insurrectionists. It's people who gave aid and comfort yep. to insurrectionists afterwards. Am I right? Yep, that, that is a part of the 14th Amendment. And, and a lot of people say, well, yeah. He hasn't been charged or convicted, and you need that. That's that's just patently false. <laughs> it's, there's nothing in the 14th Amendment that requires it. And actually, multiple people did ha- were um, barred and weren't allowed to take office uh, who were never charged or convicted. Because remember, the 14th Amendment is a post-Civil War amendment. Hey, I'm, I'm old, but I'm not that old. But I did remember that, yeah. It's a KKK thing. No, this was after the Civil War. That 1841's being used by Jack Smith. That was an anti-Klan act. So much of this is about the Old South. You won't deny that you guys shopped this jurisdiction. You shopped your plaintiffs. You decided Denver, Colorado is the place to be. And there are are no bones about that, right? Uh, Well, I mean, I think, think, yeah. I mean, I think that that, that's right. We, We... It wasn't random that we're here. Um, you know, we we thought very much we wanted. It was important to have a state that had a primary that was not at the very end. It was important to have a state that had some good jurisprudence and some good statutes and some good case law regarding challenges for ca- uh, qualifications. I think there was a lot of that that played in. You know, plaintiffs 
yeah, I, I think I think in any case like this, you know, you want to make sure that you vet your plaintiffs pretty thoroughly and that they're on board and that they're ready to go and that they're all assets and and I, they are. I mean, I got to tell you, I did a little bit of a press junket yesterday with Norma Anderson, and uh, she is as tough now and as well spoken now as she was twenty or thirty years ago in the legislature. All I saw was you on TV, and in court, she's not going to be talking, right? It's going to be the lawyers. Are you ready next week? Yeah, we're ready to go. We're ready to go whenever we have to go. So we are. We will absolutely be. We are primed, ready, and we think we. You know, like I, like I said, and I think I, I quoted this in a, in a tweet to you. Uh, I went to see you three different times, four different degrees, and to quote our uh, our illustrious football coach, "We coming, <laughs> we coming, and, right, and we got but, receipts." So, we well, can't wait. not just we coming, but when you when you push that button, and send to Denver District Court, that means we here. Yep. Right. We yep. here. Holy cow! I can't believe this drama is unfolding in the Mile High City and that I know Mario Nicholas, who's been in my home studio a couple of times. My dogs love him. Mm-hmm. I'm glad to catch you during your media uh, circus. Just one last thing. This David Frum, he wrote in The Atlantic that uh, these kind of challenges could be disastrous because once you let that genie out of the bottle, what does insurrection really mean? Aren't they going to accuse Hillary Clinton or... Whoever runs next of that, do you see what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so here, here, I, I think it's a specious argument because, I mean, that's like, oh, don't push Merrick Garland because, and the Republicans won't return the favor. And guess what? You know, they did. You know, they pushed, they pushed uh, Amy Coney Barrett right through. You know, and so there's just don't don't do this because that's how to do that. You know, Republicans didn't want to do something on judges. Because Democrats, if they got power, might do it, and then they did it anyway. You know, it's, it's. Uh, I don't, I don't buy those arguments. And, and furthermore, I guess I look at this and I'm like, if this isn't the circumstance when we enact the Fourteenth Amendment, what is? I People totally stormed agree. the camp. Yes. They stormed the U.S. Capitol. They got farther than the British did. People died. People were injured. The the passage of power in this this country 250 years which we had gone with the passage of power had flown smoothly and we had a peaceful passage of power down the drain and stopped and ceased and halted for hours until they could finally clear that capital out and, and in fact the only reason it got cleared out was because donald trump did eventually tell people to go home after three and a half hours of violence and after he realized that they weren't going to be able to accomplish what he wanted, you know, they, they, they were not going to be able to wholly stop the, um, um, the count. And then the count, you know, while it was temporarily stopped, was going to go on. Well, maybe this is the way to stop Donald Trump. You're not asking for any right to discovery, right? Uh, it, it, it's not like, can anybody slow this down by saying, wait, we need to, have a deposition of Krista Kaper and ask her how many times she switched on Donald Trump. No, I think I think I think the the law is pretty clear about this. That's got to be held very quickly and fast. And 
it's because of the timelines that come up with your ballots. You, you, you have to, you know, creating those ballots takes time in Colorado. And we have to give the Secretary of State plenty of time to do that. And we have to give plenty of time to process to play out, including all the appeals. I like so, it. It's pure lawyer argument. Fast. You know, the, the biggest case before all of this was O.J. Simpson. I'm old enough to have covered that while I was a chief deputy. And do you remember the famous line by Johnny Cochran? <laughs> the glove don't fit. <laughs> you must acquit. Yeah. I think your line is, this glove... Amendment 14, Section 3, it fits like a glove. It's like they sure. thought about Donald Trump and they wrote it just for this guy. Isn't that wild? Just like he yep. said it would be wild. Ladies and gentlemen, Your Honor, this guy can't run in Colorado. He's disqualified. And beside, we were never a slave state and we're not going to be now. How's that for a closing? I, I will take it into consideration as we uh, as we draft something up. Mario, I can't thank you enough for your time on a Thursday night yep. when you're at the peak of your powers. Good luck to you and your colleagues, okay? Thank you very much, Greg. Have all a good night. All right, bye. He's the best lawyer I know because he's my lawyer. He's Michael Bailey. I think you pioneered this mobile estate planning, and lots of lawyers are doing it now. And boy, are your clients happy and satisfied it's convenient for the client it certainly is fun to be able to go and visit people where they are whether it's at your house or at one of the offices just to make it more convenient for you and then it's more fun for me because i get to go out and about and meet people all over the place and help them out what's the website michael it is mobileestateplanning.com what's the best phone number to call 720-394- 6887 is my direct line. Michael Bailey, that's our lawyer. Trish loves him. I do too. Thanks, Michael. You're welcome, Craig. Hey, everybody. For all of your legal needs, why not start with me? 734 7156 303 734 7156. I've been practicing law in Colorado for over 42 years, and I know a lot of people. And if I can't do right by you, I can steer you in the right direction. My number, 303-734-7156. Ask for Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims, a voice for people with legal difficulties. This is Peter. Peter Simon, the most interesting man in the world. <laughs> nice of you to say. <laughs> well, you are on my podcast right now. Thanks for agreeing to do this show. Absolutely. I think you are the biggest showbiz star I know, and I try to develop correspondence. Here we are, episode 168, and it's kind of like having an expert witness. So if you don't mind... Could you be my piano expert, please? <laughs> I'll do the best I can. Can you be my show business expert, please? I'll do my best. <laughs> All right, now here's what I really prize on my show. And my audience knows this. I like people who know all about Colorado history. Are you that guy? 
Well, so-so. <laughs> but ah. I am a Denver native, as were my parents. Yes, and your grandparents. And, and my grandparents were natives, but they came here. Uh, uh, they, they settled here. Both sets of grandparents settled here in their, what, in their early adulthood, I guess you'd say. Even though I gave you that uh, well-deserved title and all those uh, nice boosters, I, I think it might be your son and your dad and your grandfather who are even more extraordinary. So we'll get to all of that, but let's not bury the lead. Well, thanks. And, and the lead, yeah, the lead is that you are performing in Denver Saturday night and people can go to George Washington High School to hear you. Is that true? That's it. And I, uh, I, I think the last time I was on that stage was when I was in 10th grade in the all-school show. So this is quite an honor. What year did you graduate from George? Uh, 1967. Wow. And so what did you do? Yeah. So what did you <laughs> So as they say in the neighborhood, maybe at the old Temple Emanuel. So tell me what you do with your life. Well, uh, I guess for the past however many years, I've been a concert pianist entertainer, which is a little different than a traditional concert pianist. And so I've traveled to many, many different places and uh I entertain audiences with uh, funny stories and some jokes and some fun classical and popular music. I'd say my show is a little like uh, a bit of Victor Borg mixed with Liberace arrangements. It's that kind of thing. <laughs> Can I just say Liberace was the most popular of pianists of our era, but Victor Borg, what yeah. is... What a Jewish hero to survive the war. Where was he's a Dutch yes. guy? No, no. What country? Danish? Uh, yes. And, yes, and, he was Danish. And he made me laugh so hard, so I can't wait to see you Saturday night. <laughs> well, you know, uh, we all form our own way of expressing things, and uh, so I'm a bit different than Borga and a bit different than Liberace, but uh, it's definitely entertaining. Tell me about Victor Borga because he he actually is in my top five comedians ever, and I just admire the man so much. Did you ever meet him? Yes, several times. uh, I had the same manager as he did for uh, two years. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you a funny, true story. Uh, I was visiting uh, New York, his manager, which was my manager at the time. His name is Jim Murtha. And I walk into Jim Murtha's office, and he's holding sheets of paper in his right hand, and he's cussing out Borga. He said, that damn Borga. I said, what's wrong? And Murtha said, I sent him nine contracts. And Borga was playing for $50,000 a night at that time, and uh, the manager gets 20%. And Burgess and Murtha said, I sent him nine contracts. He came back and he only signed two. Damn, Borga. And I said, uh, well, how old is he? And Murtha said, why? I said, well, I'm curious. How old is he? He said, he's 89. I said, well, Jim, he's... He's tired. He's tired of traveling. He doesn't need the money. 
And Martha gave a sly smile and he said, let me tell you a manager joke. I said, okay. He said, the artist is up on stage, the manager's in the audience, and the manager says, look at that SOB up there taking 80% of my fee. <laughs> Oh, boy. I'm glad you made that an agent joke rather than a lawyer joke. That's good. Don't tell me the lawyer was an agent. You know, people are putting together the math. And I think when it comes to concert pianists, you guys go on for a while. And honestly, Borga made me laugh well into his 80s. I can see why he was earning that kind of beat. What do you got? Is that the secret to long life by playing the ivories every day? Well, wouldn't that be wonderful? Because I, I should certainly live to be a, a very old man. <laughs> you know, uh, Arthur Rubenstein, he was a famous uh, concert pianist uh, while I was growing up. And he, he was still playing. He was 92. And he said, I only stopped because I couldn't see the keys anymore. <laughs> Yeah, well, that never stops Stevie Wonder, right? So that's right. Yeah, that's true. That's right. But 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 uh, but tell me about you and where you grew up. You're a Denver boy. I'm a Denver boy. Tell me about. Let's go way back because this is fascinating. Because people say that Denver grew in a variety of ways, but to me, the dominant institution that accounts for the growth of Denver was a place called National Jewish Hospital. And this guy right here, Peter Simon from George Washington High School, his ancestors were key figures in all of it. Tell the story if you would. Well, uh, my grandfather uh, was a doctor. His name is Dr. Saline Simon. He was German Jewish and he came to America and he specialized in lung diseases. And a lot of asthmatic patients came to Denver because of the dry air. And so uh, Dr. Simon and two other doctors started the National Jewish Hospital. And, uh, of course, it's grown into an international uh, hospital and asthmatic research center. So uh, that's a very proud history of my grandfather. Uh, helped start uh, the National Jewish Hospital, uh, and it started out for just indigent patients. And then my father, uh, God bless him, he was president of the National Jewish for about four terms. And uh, I suppose I would have been involved with the National Jewish myself, but uh, I was on the East Coast and uh, (laughs) didn't get too involved in it. But it's a proud history. Yeah, no kidding. Because it saved a lot of people's lives during it tuberculosis. Did. What was it? it they called it consumption back then. And That's people right. couldn't breathe. So it was That's realized right. that our climate helped people with respiratory conditions. And that they came. And some just sent their children. I remember at the JCC, you know, some games were tough. And honestly, we had, we played what was it called, Carrie, the team from National Jewish? I think they were children good enough to play basketball. They weren't that competitive, but God, what an effort. There there were tons of kids given a chance, and for the first 70 years, they didn't charge a penny. It's kind of like St. Jude's or something, where it's 
it's all through That's donations right. and you're helping people breathe. And it was regardless of creed and color, which was a huge deal back then, right? That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. You're exactly right. And, yeah. uh, every uh, Passover, they had a Seder with uh, uh, a lot of the patients and sponsors. And uh, it was a very touching, moving experience. And I remember being there for all those Passover seders. And since I was the youngest in the room, I had to, I had to ask the four questions. And uh, <laughs> yeah, but those are, those are wonderful times. And it was wonderful times uh, to grow up in Denver at that time. I, I grew up uh, between Static Elementary and Hill Junior High School. So uh, I went home for lunch every day. <laughs> Holy cow, you know that sailing Simon, your grandfather, right? And it's S-A-L-I-N-G. People can look it up. Tell yes. us about his progeny. What kind of children did he produce? Well, uh, he and his wife, uh, Sarah, had four boys. And uh, my father, I guess, was the third in line, I suppose. And uh the oldest uh, boy, he uh, became a stockbroker in New York City. And then Herb, uh, Herb uh, moved to Florida and was an obstetrician. And then my father uh, was a lawyer in Denver. And, uh, and give out Eddie, his they, name because he was a famous lawyer, Walter Simon. Am I right? Walter Simon. Walter Simon. And he uh, was a wonderful man. Wonderful man. You know, they wanted him several Several people wanted him to be judge, but he kept declining, he said, because he'd have to give up two two of his favorite things, uh, money and alcohol. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> and then there was uh, there was uh, Eddie, the youngest, and he went into real estate and stayed in Denver. Wow. And, uh, yeah. From my mother's side, uh, she, she was one of four sisters. So uh, for my father's side, there were four brothers, and for uh, my mother's side, there were four sisters. And what was her maiden name? And her maiden name was Minkowski, and they lived on the west side in the Jewish area, west side at that time. That's the best. It's like dogs. If You want a mongrel, right? And I'm a product (laughs) of a mixed marriage, an east side Jew and a west side Jew. So are you, right? Yes. And you know where they dropped us mongrels off at? George Washington High School. After we got to <laughs> hell, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Hill Junior High, and I remember uh, at Hill on the back cover, the back inside cover of the yearbook called the Liberani, there's a picture of the hallway, and there's no one in the hallway. And someone wrote on that picture, Jewish Holiday. <laughs> a lot of Jews uh, back then. And, uh, I had Tom Asbury on a show, episode 167. He's great. He graduated in 63. And he said, uh-huh. I didn't know who was Jewish until the Jewish holidays, which are coming up. And he said, then 30 to 40% of the school was empty. And, and you yeah. started figuring, even at Temple Emanuel, you go on Rosh Hashanah at least one day, right? So, and Yom Kippur right. too. Right. Although they do a nighttime service, it's beautiful. And I won't brag on my show, Beth Joseph, but maybe just a little. Anyway, 
You know what I'm talking <laughs> about. We go way back, but I can't let it go without thinking of you doing the four questions as the littlest. Given that you yeah. are a musical prodigy, did you bang that out on a nearby piano, or how did you do it? <laughs> no, not during the not during the Passover service. They actually had a a patient choir, which was really wonderful. Uh, patients from the National Jewish, uh, and they'd have a choir, and they'd sing sing songs for the service, which was really wonderful. But I've been playing the piano since I was uh, six years old. So uh. <laughs> tell tell everybody how you picked it up, and are you and will you acknowledge under oath to being a child prodigy? <laughs> well, I would say this: I was I was born with a gift, born with a gift of music. Music was very easy for me, always, and still is. I was told I could read music before I read words and that's really how i like to express myself through music rather than words and i thought it was rather amusing when my mother would say uh, when i was in elementary school she'd get a call around dinner time and say mrs simon your son peter is over here and he's entertaining all of us on the piano could he stay for dinner so, uh, <laughs> so I was playing for people since I was very young. <laughs> and did you figure out where the best meals were to go play? <laughs> Don't remember, but uh, being a typical male, uh, I'll eat anything. <laughs> right, and what part of town did you grow up specifically so we can figure out where you were wandering? Near 6th Avenue Parkway, as I recall. That's right, near 6th and Bel Air Street, uh, East Denver. And as I mentioned, I lived between Stack Elementary and Hill Junior High School. So uh, talk about convenient. <laughs> it was really great. And I, lived, uh, and I lived on the street with other kids my age, which was wonderful. And I played with them uh, growing up outside. And those were the days when we all played outside and until one of the mothers would walk out and shout a name and say it's dinner time. Yeah, so, but you uh, must have been inside playing the piano quite a bit. <laughs> or are you saying you're like a great golfer who doesn't need to play that much? Did you need to <laughs> practice or what? Oh, I needed to practice. And, uh, and that's why I never learned how to ski growing up because I always had my uh, piano lessons when everybody went up skiing. So uh, never skied when uh, growing up in Denver. I, I tried. I tried it in college. I figured, well, maybe I should start, but I really didn't. Really didn't care for it. So, yeah, you uh, have to protect. <laughs> you have to protect your fingers. I mean, that's essential. I mean, a blind guy can play the piano, but I. You need fingers to play, right? <laughs> you certainly do. <laughs> Not every blind guy can play. It helps to read music. What kind of music do you enjoy? And I know the answer to this because I'm a lawyer, but <laughs> even though you're an, you're an expert at piano, you've mastered some other instruments as well. Tell everybody how wide and varied your musical career has been. Well, I, I, I would say I'm not the typical pianist that I've met throughout my life who 
started playing piano when they were little and all they did was play the piano. That's all they did. And I found that, uh, personally very restricting. Uh, so I, I started playing clarinet. I think I was about fifth grade and, uh, played it all through uh, college essentially. And, uh, and then I played the string bass, uh, for a while. And, and I also wanted to be a rock and roll drummer. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, in in college I was I was a drummer and played on weekends in bands, but then uh, and then I started graduate school in piano. But in order to uh, make some extra income, I would uh, play drums on weekends. <laughs> now at GW, are you gonna do all this? <laughs> Oh, I think uh, no. I'll just uh, I'll just be playing piano and telling some funny stories. Good. I mean, I mean, I, not good because I wanted to see you do it all. But it's great. I'm sure it's yeah. going to be fantastic. But if we brought, I, I just I, anyway, people can check this out on YouTube, and I'll, I'll put that in the show notes. But uh, yeah, uh, tell well, us. You know, uh, go ahead. You know the on the program. Uh, is also going to be part of the uh, GW Choir is going to sing and part of the GW Band is going to play and the choir director uh, uh, is a wonderful uh, singer and this is his first year at GW and he's really terrific and the um, uh, band director uh, is a Denver native uh, he went to East, and uh, and they're, they're two very positive, hardworking guys. And uh, it'll be a pleasure to have them on the show along with their students. Oh, that's fantastic. I mean, the places you have played, it, it's kind of unbelievable. Tell us, you know, yeah. but before we leave your parents and my parents, my dad, maybe he was a little bit of a snob, and my mom, and that's why we were at Beth Joseph, and at Temple Emanuel, you know what one of the complaints about it being too reformed were? Uh, no, go ahead. That they had an organ. They had yeah. a keyboard. I mean, that yes, was, was very progressive. Organist. Right. Wonderful organist and a professional choir. Right, but I mean, the, the concept of a musical instrument, my, my dad being from the West Side, it's like, oh, you can't do that. First, sure. you have men and women together, now at Temple Emmanuel, that they have a, an organ like a church. Churches have organs. Right, and I especially appreciated the music at Temple Emmanuel because it was really wonderful and beautiful. And I would go to Shabbat services there just to hear the choir and the organ, because uh, it's really just wonderful, sacred music written that's very moving. But I understand how uh, more deeply religious Jews uh, would look at that. But I'll tell you, uh, I remember in Hebrew school, I remember a uh, poem in second grade, which I thought was fun. Uh, maybe you've heard it too. It said, uh, let's see, roses are reddish, Violets are bluish. If it weren't for Jesus, we'd all be Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> That's a beauty. And I would say my dad would have come around, and so have I, because every show I go to now has 
a guitar, a musical instrument. Yeah. So you guys showed yeah. the way, and there's nothing <laughs> wrong with music. And yeah, thanks for indulging me. My parents were married at Temple Emmanuel, which is oh, uh, really is something. Right? Yes. And uh, yeah. God bless Colorado history, but tell everybody about how to get to Carnegie Hall and don't say practice, practice, practice. You, <laughs> you performed there. Uh, what was it like and was it as thrilling as you thought it would be? Yes, I say it was. Uh, it's a very unique, beautiful place. And um, I was invited to play there. Uh, and I did a varied program and had other guests on it because I wanted to make it entertaining also. I think one of the um, trouble, one of the troubles with classical music is that uh, it can be so serious. And there's a lot of classical music that's not so serious, but beautiful. Uh, and most people don't understand classical music and the history of it. So I like to talk between each piece and uh, give a little history uh, or a little fun vignette of uh, the music. Uh, so, so, my, so my programs, uh, again, a, a sort of, you call it classical, but entertaining classical. And that's sort of what my program at Carnegie Hall was. I think you are going to be in your element in GW, surrounded by all these people, because I've seen you now on your YouTube page, and it's unbelievable the number of musicians <laughs> you have around you. What's the biggest orchestra that you've led? Uh, oh, gee. You know, I toured with a British uh, orchestra all through Britain, and uh, that was a lot of fun. I would say the uh, the biggest crowd uh, I ever had was uh, an outdoor music festival in Seoul, Korea, uh, with my son. And there was probably about 15,000 people out there in the pouring rain. <laughs> I've been, how many musicians have you worked in? I mean, most musicians, like when you're drumming in a band, there are probably four people or five, I don't know, three or four. But I've seen you with massive orchestras, and I'm wondering yeah. just how big it can get. Oh, generally about 100 people on stage in orchestras. Yeah, between 80 and 100 people. Does that make you and nervous? Does anything make you nervous anymore? Oh, sure, sure. You still get nervous. It's just, just part of it. and uh, But that makes you want to play better. Uh, if you're not nervous, you're actually a little worried about that. What but, was the uh, greatest performance of your life? <laughs> well, so far. I don't know if I could say the greatest because they're all very different. And I enjoyed them all. For example, I've, I played in a parade on a digital keyboard on the back of a tip pickup truck sitting on a bale of hay and uh, playing Susan Marches. And uh, that was a lot of fun. Where was that? <laughs> uh, that was in Oklahoma. <laughs> and I also did it up in Frisco, Colorado, where my house is, uh, in their uh, 4th of July parade. And you're an artist in residence in Oklahoma, am I right? 
Yeah, there have been three uh, colleges that I've been artists in residence in the past, uh, which was really a lot of fun. And I'm going to be returning there uh, next month for a school year. I'm going to be artist in residence at a city in uh, Oklahoma. And my job's going to be to give uh, children's programs uh, through the county and some community concerts and guest speaker on the importance of the arts and education and everyday life. And it should be a wonderful time. See, now you're like an odd sharks, Oklahoma kind of dude, but I know enough about you to say that of all the GW graduates I've ever met, you have worn more tuxedos than anybody in the history of GW. Am I right? How many tuxedos have you worn? And Go ahead. I've worn out three of them for sure. <laughs> you know, I've given uh, three 70-city coast-to-coast tours. And in addition to that, all other cities, I probably played over 500 U.S. cities, plus, you know, European tours and Asian tours and this and that. So I've walked on a lot of stages. <laughs> I know about that. Is a tuxedo sure. mandatory to be a concert pianist like you? Yeah, more or less. Yeah, sometimes when you play with orchestra, you wear what's called tails. And that's very formal. And that's what they used to wear all the time. Uh, in the 1800s and 1900s and I guess uh, early 2000, there's the silver tails uh, in orchestras and some soloists. My, uh, I think what I enjoy the most, because uh, you asked what I enjoy the most before, uh, is playing in small towns. Uh, I really enjoy playing in small communities because they're very appreciative. They rarely get a, an artist coming through their town. And... Uh, uh, they're very amiable to what I have to say. And I give children's shows in these towns too, because a lot of these kids have never heard a live concert pianist before. So uh, I've been called the Johnny Appleseed of music. And uh, <laughs> but I, that's something I really enjoy playing in small communities. I'd say that was one of the best books I ever read in school, right? Johnny Appleseed was Johnny a good dude. And you yeah, and I had man. the same education, I bet, at Hill. And I went to a different yeah. elementary than Steck, but it's remarkable. And what is remarkable further is the relationship you have with children, starting with your own, who you honored by naming him S-A-L-I-N-G after your... Uh, Grandpa, and that's worked out pretty well. He went to Harvard. He's great looking, and he plays the piano with his dad. What can't this guy do? That's it. That's it. And uh, we traveled off and on for 20 years. And it was great fun uh, for me, and everybody loved it, seeing a father and son playing the piano together. And uh, we would have continued, but my son... uh, he wanted a normal life. He didn't want to travel anywhere and just live out of a suitcase. So, uh, so he retired, and uh, but I keep going because I, I really enjoy it. 
Well, God bless you. I can't wait to see you at GW. And uh, it's just a remarkable time that you went to George. I'm getting acquainted with the 60s. Tell us the atmosphere. And and do you think you're the only brilliant guy who came out of George? Or are there other people you know? Oh, there are many people that uh, (laughs) are very talented uh, in their own way and very smart in their own way and became uh, uh, very successful and uh, successful not in, not just in money but became very very good people and good citizens and uh, raising kids and uh, you know I think going to George Washington when I did was uh, it was difficult it, it was hard and you had to work at it and of course we all tried to goof off and had fun too but uh, people, kids were very respectful, and uh, we we dressed neatly, and uh, uh, for, for most everybody, uh, it was a really good experience, and uh, that's why I volunteered to to play at GW for this fundraiser, you know, because it's a great tradition of a school, and so many people uh, had wonderful times there. So I'm happy to support. It. And when you said it was difficult and hard, you mean academically. It was rigorous, and it was a good college prep environment, right? Yes, yes, academically, absolutely. And there's a lot of sports, and for those who were sports-minded, like yourself, I'm sure you had the opportunities in that also. What about music? So, was that more limited? Well, no, they had a, they had a very good concert band. Uh, with uh, Roland Roberts, and they had a wonderful choir. So I played in the concert band, and uh, and they had an orchestra. I played in that, uh, and then I would take piano on the side. The piano was really my main instrument, of course. So I would take private lessons on the on the side all through school. But my uh, junior year of high school, I was sent to a performing arts school in North Carolina. So, uh, and that was uh, very intense uh, piano playing. I mean, my teacher was a Juilliard grad, uh, just a phenomenal pianist, and uh, he wanted to work us all very hard. <laughs> I was so used to uh, just taking it easy and goofing around, enjoying my friends. But uh, so I decided my senior year, no, I'm going to go back to GW and uh, have a good time. <laughs> what a great choice yes and now you get to go back to gw again fun. yeah just all the pianos you played uh, what's the best yeah. I, I, I mean and and do you know what you're going to be playing at gw and does it even matter well it sort of matters you know i as i mentioned i've given three 70 city coast-to-coast tours so that's 210 different pianos and out of those two or 10 pianos i would say 10 of them are really really good and i'd say another 20 were okay and the rest were not very good but i say to myself backstage i'm being paid to play the piano and i'll just do the best i can but uh i became uh, a baldwin artist when i became a professional pianist and I still believe that uh, it's the best piano out there. Uh, Steinway uh, has a bigger name, and it's a wonderful instrument. 
but it always requires a lot of work. Steinway pianos always need work, sort of like English cars, where Baldwin's really hold up uh, very well with very little work. And interestingly enough, I'll be playing on a Baldwin piano at GW, and it's probably the same piano I played on uh, 50 years ago. <laughs> Holy cow, was that a paid promo when you said you're a, 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 a Baldwin artist, right? Isn't that your term? Does that mean yeah. that, that they paid you to play it? Well, no, it, it meant that uh, whenever I would play, uh, if there was a Baldwin concert grand with a uh, music store, they would provide that piano for no charge for me. Well, I'm just but, an old radio guy, and, but I'm telling you, with podcasting, et cetera, if we just bottled up what you said about Baldwin, I think they would use it as an advertisement because that was great. Yes, yes, I, I agree. And, you know, Liberace was a Baldwin artist. I did and, not know uh, that. I can make bad puns then, based on that, but we're going to... Do you work PG at your shows? I imagine so, with kids, et cetera. Oh, sure. Yes. <laughs> I'm not a profane kind of guy. Yeah, don't give me the <laughs> microphone. Okay. <laughs> but uh, uh, Baldwin, and, and unfortunately, uh, went out of business. No, no. The, yeah, I'm sorry. yeah, unfortunately. And... Uh, but the pianos are still around, and they're still doing great. And but nobody's and, uh, and nobody's reproducing Baldwin pianos anymore. That's that's correct. That's correct. It's extinct. To, I'm afraid so. Yeah. Doesn't Alec uh, Baldwin need a new career anyway? Uh. <laughs> but they're still great pianos, and they can be worked on, and all the parts can be replaced. So, uh, so they're so they're still around. All right, well, maybe you should give me the mic uh, tonight because the show airs Saturday. Give me the mic tonight. We'll try out our act because you miss your your son. I could be like a son to you. Yeah, there you go. But there I can't. Go. We can do a duet. I have no musical talent, okay? <laughs> well, we all need audiences. <laughs> yes, and you're going to be on stage. I'm not, but I'm going to be cheering in the crowd and thanks for being such a great guest today and being a correspondent on piano, show business, and Colorado history. You fulfilled all of that. And uh, safe travels after Saturday night. And go Patriots. Go Patriots. Thanks hey, so much, hey, give, give out your website. I'll put it in the show notes too. But uh, when people want to find out about you and maybe catch one of your shows, where do they go? Well, I do have a website. It's just petersimonpianist.com, and that's me. I think you have <laughs> extraordinary. Put it on YouTube because you will see this and guy in action. Yes, yeah. right. so with those right. tails on, too. Anyway. Yeah, you do. That's right. All right, Peter. <laughs> see you, George. Bye-bye. Right. Thanks so much, Greg. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Michael Bailey, a friend a lawyer, a sponsor. Tell everybody how you bring peace of mind to their life. So by setting up your estate plan, you know what's going to happen to your stuff when you die. And you know where it's going to go, you know who's going to get it. We've got everything in place so we're not running to a court to try to get 
guardianship and conservatorship as quickly as possible. But then it's an orderly proceeding of things. So, you know, there's already enough chaos with the medical emergency, but the legal part of it and who can make decisions is all outlined, it's all set up. So there's, it's like the, the smooth transition of power. That's cool because you can avoid so many problems by having a medical power of attorney and discussing it with a smart guy like Michael Bailey because who should have this? It's probably somebody close. Who do you trust most among your children to make that call? These are the hard and good questions that you ask every day, right, Michael? Right, and if you ask them beforehand, when you're not in the middle of a crisis, then when a crisis hits, we're not trying to do crisis management and medical emergency and everything else. We're going, okay, we've got a smooth transition of power here. We've got a smooth who's in charge, and we can have that all flow so that we can focus on the care. There are so many things in life that you can fill out a form and save yourself money, save yourself heartache. Some people die out of nowhere quickly, but more often you get sick, you have medical difficulties, so it all goes together. But your system works, it works beautifully. What is the best way to contact you these days? Best way, uh, you can give me a call. My phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. Or you can go online to michaelbaileylawllc.com. And there is a an appointment page on my website that you can use. So either way is fine. Thanks, Michael. Troubadour. Hi, Craig. It's been a long time. <laughs> yeah, this life is carrying us both into so many different directions. Do you remember where you were last week? I was visiting my father. Do you remember our song last week? Um, so that would have been um, uh, crazy for you, or is it the one? Was that the week before? It was your instrumental, the one where you forgot uh, the words. <laughs> I didn't forget. Moonrise, Western Sky. I've listened to that again. You know why? Did you feel it had something more to offer? No, not really. But you shamed me into, hey, Craig, if occasionally I don't listen to all the podcasts, what about you? I put out my new album, Connected, and you don't know all my songs yet. And I think you were a little hurt. Am I right? More than a little. Well, I listened to the whole album in the sequence you presented. How important is the order of your songs? Well, just from your own experience, like you told me, you'd, you would only listen to the first part of it, right? So therefore, it's best, I think, as a rule to put your strongest material first because people these days, you know, with our short attention span, you might be two or three songs into it and then, and then the baby's diaper needs changing. You know, that's life. In, well, you want to finish strong too. And you want to finish strong. That is very true. And I did. It's like a trial. It's the order of witness. Yes, yes. And the last song was for my friend Jan, who who passed about um, oh about five years ago. And um, anyway, and that was written for him. Well, that's good. And you know how I listened to the whole album instead of that CD that you gave me and you signed. You know, I think when you put uh, yours truly, Dave, that wasn't very personal. Didn't oh, it say says what it says for my good buddy Craig. Love, David and Riley, because Riley, <laughs> your dog, is on the front cover. That's it. All right, but thank yeah. you for listening, and no, I was not really But hurt. you know how I listen? I, listen, I downloaded it on Amazon, all your albums. Yeah, cool. 
It's all there now. You are it, with it. Do you know what that means? It means probably very little. <laughs> it's up on Apple as well. Well. Spotify, I think it's everywhere. Thank you, Brad. Shout out to Brad. I know, but do you understand what that means? You very, might not very be. Very little. You're discovered. It's, I saw you at Gold Hill and all that, but you will be further discovered. And you know who and what will discover you and judge you and judge you well? The good Lord. Maybe. That's a matter of faith. Eternity, fair history. But more than that, I think AI. Because now that you're out there in the universe, just like this podcast, AI will sort through it in a nanosecond. And yes. say, a song like Strangers in a Strange Land will be fantastic. And my point before we leave Moonrise, Western Sky, I loved it when I heard it during your album. It was deep somehow, even without words. How did you do that? Oh, well, thank you. I know you just thought it was a song that was missing words. Um, well, you know, it helps to have a melody that, that <clears throat> has emotion. Yeah, it does. Yeah, you got all choked up right there. But let's <laughs> no. move on to Strangers in a Strange Land because I think it's cool how you came up with this song for this show. And uh, do you remember how you came up with it for this show? You asked me to come up with a song that was, uh, that, that, uh, was strong on piano. Right. And this one is unbelievable. Who plays the piano on that? Mark DeVere. And it also has... Um, other keyboards, you know, synthesizer, string well, type know. sounds. I'm but, not a musical expert. Well, I just know I love this song, okay? Mark played both. And uh, no, I love his piano work on this song. And who is the angel singing background? The angel next to me is my, is my daughter, Sarah. Oh, my gosh. Is she still Sarah Gunders? No, but I haven't changed that from my phone. On, <laughs> on Amazon, phone, it gives still... you all the credit when you put that info tab. And you need to put the words in there because the uh, harmony, like uh, a psalm, I don't know, one by one is mm -hmm. what you're saying. Mm -hmm. I thought maybe one love, one God, but you're singing one by one. Your song about refugees is amazing, but I need to grill you because I've come up with a new comedy segment for our show. Are you ready? I'm down. And... You like the name Troubadour, am I correct? I do. But you have other nicknames, and um, you've mentioned it on the show in a loving way, and even your wife calls you this. Schmuck? No. <laughs> Mr. Oblivious. That's true. Okay, are you ready for your Mr. Oblivious test? Yes. Okay, uh, which Biden got covid I guess it would be Hunter because he's screwing up every other, every other way. Jill Biden. Oh, okay. Okay. See you played who last week? Oh, that was um, T-C-U. Now you told me this story while you were traveling and I think it's cute because you grew up a little in Texas, didn't you? Yes, I did. Okay, explain what happened to you last weekend which validates you being Mr. Oblivious. I was... Waiting for my airplane, there was a, the TV was on. Where were I, you? I just, uh, LaGuardia, New okay. York. I was just, uh, happened to look at a TV there at a bar and it was CU playing just by chance. And not only that, but they were doing amazing. And so I watched like the last 10 minutes of the game and I saw, okay, 
I'm confessing because I, I know nothing about, about football, college football particularly. I had no idea what TCU stood for. And so I asked the guy who was really riveted to the TV next to me. I was like, who's TCU? And he looked at me like, like, you know, I'm an idiot. He was Texas Christian University. But anyway, yeah, he told me. And they lost to Georgia in the title game last year. I should have known that. Well, that's all right. Let's move on. Who won the game? Oh, man. CU won the game. It's really exciting. And you watched the ending in LaGuardia? And you told me that the, you, you can't even get tickets for tomorrow. Oh, my God. It's like Taylor Swift or the Stones. And you're... Okay, who do they play tomorrow? Seems like a guy like you should be who able to get, they play you on be able to get us in. Who do they play? Nebraska, I know. Oh, Big and red. what time do they play? 10 o'clock. Oh. I'll be in the mountains, though. Who is CU's coach? So I won't be attending your party. I'm sorry. It's but you right. should invite all your listeners. Yes. No, I you can't put it out there. all that. No, I'm at my Hall of Fame party. It's okay. You can mess it. We can go without music. But who is the CU coach? I'm giving you easy ones now. Prime. What's his real name? Sanders. What's his first name? Barry. No. <laughs> that was the Detroit Lion running back. Anyway. Coach Sanders. Dion. There we go. How do you spell Dion? Sorry, Prime. How do you spell Dion? Well, it depends if you're talking about the, uh, the singer or... I think it's uh, D-I-O-N-E. No. I think it's D-E-I-O-N. So oh, who's boy, the quarterback of CU? His son. What's his name? Sanders. First name. Um, I know it's not Frank. Shadur. How do go. you spell Shadur? S-H-E. What is he, a transsexual? No. E-D-U-R. S-H-E-D-E-U-R. I'm going to give you credit for that one. Okay, what's his other son's name? The one who plays defensive back and had 10 tackles. That's Frank. Shiloh. Okay. How do you spell Shiloh? Well, I know how I spell Shiloh. When you were young, how did you spell Shiloh? S-H-I-L-O. Okay. Who are the other stars? The, the Heisman you, candidate. Like you could have son. given me a little bit of prep time Offensive, on defensive. It was the unbelievable interceptions, receptions. Travis Hunter, remember that name? Quick as lightning, running back who scored four touchdowns in his first game. What's his name? With who? With CU? CU? They have all these new guys. Dylan yeah, Edwards. Really Dylan Edwards, remember that name. All right. Have you heard of the Denver Broncos? Keep going. When do they play? Are they playing this Sunday? It's I mean, things are rolling now, right? Who do they there was play? a game last night. Who do they what was the game last night? It was Detroit, which I was really I saw that they beat they beat um uh they they beat um wait, hold on, Kansas City. Oh yeah. Yeah, Mahomes, that's, that's right. Really cool. Mahomes so, got what beat. was the score? I, and I love Detroit because for so many years they, they were underdogs. Because you're a musician. Okay, let's get back to that. Broncos played two twenty five against the Raiders in Denver. While you're in the mountains, way to go. You've got your cabin, which you built with your own hands. And I know you take pride in your building ability, like out renovations and all of that. And while you do the renovations on the GW Hall of Fame room, if you ask me to. Okay, I, I just did. Thank you. All right, let's move on. The other ego point for you is your music, right? It's all I got. I will give you the greatest 
musician, I'll send it to you. You'll have some criticism. It's not bluesy enough. It's not this. It's a little off here. You're a harsh critic. Am I that predictable that you know what I'm going to say? I think that it's it's sort of like I take ego for whatever reason and my ability to shoot a basketball. So obviously there are people who can shoot better, but unless it's like Steph Curry, I have a big ego and I think I can outshoot you in my prime. All right. That's just a fact. It's just, That's just a fact. Yeah, there's no ego involved there. No, no. Well, obviously there are people that can shoot better, but you have that kind of ego with music. No, not really. I mean, I I get I'm gratified that I've played a long time and have some facility, but I can tell you this is the thing. Ego can be your enemy because like for example, I go to New York New Orleans every year. If I compared myself to the musicians that I see in New Orleans, I'd come home and I'd never open my but guitar you do. case. You yes. No. You are confessing right there. You are comparing yourself. Why am I not up on that stage? Everybody has to do it as best they can according to who they are and their But ability. a lot of it's the luck of the draw. With the AI, it'll be more objective. No. I'm no. telling you, your True lyrics, talent will just show. this song, right? Strangers in a Strange Land. I listen what? to music. What? It's as good as anything. Phil Collins got... puts out great music. It's not better than this. Thank you. But I've got my seven listeners. It's not that. You're going to have a lot more once artificial intelligence kicks in and people listen to this song. I mean, really listen to it. But here's your ego. It's like Susan Stubson. She's a great guest. And, you know, she's a pianist. And she takes ego in that. But I've got the real deal, Peter Simon. People can go to the show tonight. If I'm sorry. I'm going to miss you, Peter. Yeah. Oh, but I, I think you're doing it deliberately because you're jealous of other musicians. Not or, a piano player. I don't play well, in that he, arena. He plays bass, as you'll find out. He plays the clarinet. He plays in the rock band, drums. He's maybe a more accomplished musician than you. And I just sense a little jealousy coming into this show. I say, we're going to have a great pianist. And you're trying to one-up him. And I kind of, in a way, you do. I've never heard a song of yours where kind of a concert piano comes in. And it's wonderful. You know that's my favorite. Mark DeVere, thank you very much. Mark did a beautiful job playing piano. But you wrote that? Yes. Yeah. The how line, do you, how do you write piano music to come in like that? Well, you conceived of that? Yes. That I conceived of, and it was quite simple. I just hummed it for him. I just, you know, sang it for him, and he played it. What kind of piano? Now, of course, when you sing, you can't, you're not singing the the accompany the the chord structure or anything like that. You're singing the melody, right? So it was so it was up to him to do the arpeggio left hand and everything that he came up with very quickly. I might add. He must yeah. be good. He's very good. Yeah, I miss you, Mark. What kind of piano? It was an electric. I know, but do you know what brand? Probably like a Yamaha or a, I don't know. Do what, you know what Nord or something? Peter Simon likes. He likes acoustic big pianos. No, he likes a Baldwin. Okay, that's an acoustic big piano. He did three 70 city tours wow. in his life. Can you believe that? So did he go with his son? Or was For this... 20 years, he did the world that way. And then his son finally said, Dad, his, his son's so accomplished, a Harvard grad. Yeah. You know, he wanted a life outside his show business. Right. It's hard. It is 70 hard. 70 city tours. That's a lot. Performing your music. It ain't B.B. King, though. I think you're jealous. You don't want to go because you'll feel like 
Maybe this guy's more accomplished musically than me. Okay. Can I just tell you? Yes. Okay. Mr. Simon, you're more accomplished musically. Now we can move on. Carl. All right. I don't know. I just sense that about you. But I know your wife wants to get up to the mountains. I just think it's cool. And people can compare on Amazon and everywhere now. And this song, the meaning of it, to get a little serious... Wow, I feel a little like a stranger in a strange land. If Donald Trump wins, where are we going to go? That's a good point. But one thing I wanted to add is that really yes. some of my favorite musicians have humility, the opposite of ego, right? Humble. So you aspire toward that. I aspire towards that, yeah. Like a guy like Bob Marley, you know, but there's a lot of musicians like that. You know, although Bob had a huge ego, of course he did. He was a great artists they recognize that but in the in the in the presentation of the music he subjugated his ego you know what i'm saying he wasn't saying this is how great i am he was saying this is how great ja is and ja god gives us music right that was his that was his uh and peter purpose. was a prodigy he just started entertaining in people's homes and he read music before he could read anything else have you ever met a guy like that I mean, I've seen people, um, I've, yeah, I've known some guitar player, like who, you know, in fact, I once met a guy, Lee, Lee Neistead, in seventh grade, who was so good on the guitar that I made the mistake of putting the guitar down. I, that, that's, that's the bad part of ego. I thought, this guy, you know, he's great, and I, and I stink, and I put it away for some years, you know? It was a big mistake. It's like golf. I was good enough to play with some really good golfers, and appreciate it and some of them had such a beautiful swing and people have an ego about a swing and maybe other people will say well that's nice but a real golf purist they can say whoa when the swing is really right you know what i'm saying it's the swing's right when it goes straight down the fairway like what 300 and some yards. 300 used to be it. Now you got a zonk at 330. It's the equipment. It's humans improving. But I don't know how you improve on this song. It's got all your usual elements, the wind, the sun, the star, a crescent moon. And then something I've been thinking, thinking about a lot. What makes somebody a refugee? It's a, it's a government that's not doing its job because it's not safe. Right. Violence. Instability. Violence, the threat of violence. Born, and, born of hatred. You have that word in your song. Yeah. Too. Yeah. The, and the inability to provide for your family. Yes. That's a, that's a big one. Yeah. The double barrel. Poverty and violence. You got to get out of there, just like your dad did from Munich when he was seven years old. I've done a lot of episodes, but I won't forget your dad playing soccer and then his friends all of a sudden didn't want to play with the Gunderheimer anymore. That's right. Yeah. And he became That's, a refugee. He did. He was. Yeah. And he did well. I was just listening. I saw the news that there's 21,000 new students, refugees in New York City coming to school starting tomorrow yes they started yesterday and the schools don't know how to uh how to deal with it right and eric adams says yeah. uh that it could collapse new york city and i've always thought that uh, the promise to educate anybody in america was really incentivizing people to come because people will do almost anything for their children that's right, right. yeah yeah they would and we would yes right get them to new york Worry about the rest later. 
right? I know, and you have to deal with it in a smart way and with empathy. But the one thing we know is that fascism and authoritarianism and violence, that's what is the bothersome thing right now. Did you hear about the Atlanta indictments before we go to strangers in a strange land? Did you hear all the people they wanted to indict? No. Lindsey Graham, Purdue, Leffler, three senators in all, Lynn Wood, and an attorney. Anyway, I'm glad you're- So there's a list that came out. People decided not to to indict. It's all coming out. And that's the key to uh, Bonnie Willis. She's going to do a job by exposing uh, who all was involved, who all was involved. And uh, I don't think any of her cases are really going to go to trial anytime soon, but we can read all about it, her indictment. And then Mario Nicholas, my guest, you have to listen to this. He filed the case of this century, potentially in Denver District Court, in my beloved city and county building. And I got a great detailed interview with him. And dare I tell you, Peter Simon, don't be jealous. All right, doing my best. (laughs) All right. What's the name of that great piano player again? Will you make sure he listens? Mark DeVere. And how do you find guys like that? I played with Mark in the band in the Mighty Twisters. So he's, and he's a a very accomplished musician. Peter Simon had a band at GW called The Band, B-A-N-N-E-D. See how clever we were at GW? That's, That's pretty clever. What a great show we have. Episode 168, our troubadour with his unbelievably great song, Stranger in a Strange Land. Thank you, Troubadour. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom to you. Thanks, Craig. Just look at us now. Look what we've become. We're refugees looking all around. We're not the only ones. Plenty more I see. Walk along the tracks, worried for each other. Now face the fact. Better get your things. I tell my mother. Strangers in a strange land.
strange land When I miss my home Never thought we'd go But we had to flee the violence Michael, of course, is a great sponsor of my show, but more than that, he's my lawyer, my end-of-life planning lawyer, and I've got two dogs. What about you? I have two dogs right now as well. And not only do you love your dogs at home with your kids and your wife, but you get involved with dog issues in your law practice. Tell everybody about that. So I will write pet trusts, which is, you can earmark money to take care of your pets. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, they've got their dogs and you know, they love their dogs. But then if somebody were to, you know, if, you're, if you were to pass away, you know, who's going to take your dogs? Who would, who would love your dogs as much as you do? I don't know that anybody would love your dogs as much as you do. But like I grew up with dogs. And so if I were to pass away, then my parents or my siblings could take the dogs. So when you set up a pet trust, you can dictate who's going to get those dogs and then who you can leave money to take care of the dogs as well. I like working with you and I think you are ahead of your time. You have 15 different locations. How cool is that? It is nice to be able to go to all the different locations and, you know, meet people where it's comfortable and more convenient for them. And nobody wants to drive from one part of Metro Denver to the other to meet with a lawyer. You will come to them. Yep and I'll deal with traffic so you don't have to. Tell us how people can get in touch with you. My direct phone number is 720-394-6887, or they can go to my website, which is mobileestateplanning.com. 
And again, that's mobileestateplanning.com. And there's even a schedule, you know, there's a book an appointment link on this on the website. All right, Michael Bailey, thank you. Okay, here's the thing. You've been hurt. Maybe, God forbid, someone's been killed. You don't know what to do. If it happened in Colorado, please get a hold of me. Check out my website, craigscoloradolaw.com. craigscoloradolaw.com because I have four decades of experience. Sadly, I've helped a lot of people who have been hurt terribly through no fault of their own. 303-734-7156. Please call Craig. Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. 303-734-7156. Hey, didn't I tell you that would be great Dave Kunders delivers? What about that keyboard in Strangers in a Strange Land? Let's never let it get that far with hatred and violence. Never. Peter Simon will share the world with music. I hope he has that kind of ability. And Mario Nicholas, he's trying to change the world. And Monday morning, 6 a.m., Jordan Hedberg. And Marty Lenz from KOA. What a show that will be. Craig's Colorado Corner Edition of the Craig Silverman Show. Thanks for subscribing, sharing, telling a friend. Five stars, please. We are covering the Trump trials. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.